If you're like me, you have probably during this COVID time where you've had more time at home, you've probably exhausted your watch list on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever your streaming service is, maybe even on demand. I mean, Terry and I are now digging deep into the recesses of some of these streaming services to, to find a show as we've watched every other episode. We, we came across a show the other day that's about a, a scientist who works with law enforcement to determine if... They, the people they've apprehended are lying. And he doesn't use their words. He doesn't like to use a polygraph. He only likes to look at their, their facial features, gestures, posture. In other words, he's determining if they're a liar based on their nonverbal communication. You know what nonverbal communication is. We're around it all the time. We use it all the time. And I think it's a part of who we are because we got communication from the master communicator, God himself. And not only is God a master communicator with his words, he's also a master communicator with nonverbal communication without having to say a word at all. We've been working our way through the Psalms and We've gotten to Psalm 19, and the first part of Psalm 19 is about God's ability to communicate with us without using words, nonverbal communication. Let's read verses one through three together and see if we can see it. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. You can see declare, proclaims. Typically we use those, those words when we're talking about words themselves or verbiage, declaring, proclaiming. Verse two, he says, day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. And that all makes sense until you get to verse three. He says, there are, there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. I mean, did you see it? Let's take a look at it again. He says, there is no speech, there are no words, and their voices not heard. This tells me that God is communicating his glory in the heavens and with the stars and the moon and the sun. He's doing all of that non-verbally. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, think about all of the ways that we communicate with each other in a nonverbal fashion. I mean, we do things with our posture. Maybe we cross our hands when we're skeptical of something, or, or maybe we, we're hunched over when we're tired or, or we're feeling sad. Well, we have eye contact that is a big part of how we communicate without saying a word. Like no one wants to be talked to and the person we're communicating with is looking off somewhere else. Or in my household, another way we communicate with our eyes is the eye roll. I mean, that communicates a ton, doesn't it, parents? I mean, who doesn't want that in their home? Another way we do it is with touch. We, we miss shaking people's hands during this time of social distancing. We do it with hugs. We embrace people when we, we miss them. We embrace people when we want to comfort them. We communicate so much with touch. We do it with gestures. Just the other day, my wife was telling me that she was driving and there was a man that gave her a gesture because clearly he was not happy with the way she was driving and he gave her some nonverbal communication and I'm sure we all know what that means. We do it all the time. And the reason we do it is because God first did it. This is how God, one of the ways God communicates with us nonverbally. 
And now verses four through six, he's going to give us a specific way. I mean, there's tons of ways that God does it, but he's going to give us one specific example of this nonverbal communication. Look at it in verse four. He says, their message of the heavens has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's going out to everyone. And then he says, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. There it is. There's the specific example. A God is saying, I've got a son and this son is declaring my glory without using any words, without giving a presentation, without delivering a speech. This is how he does it. Verse five, he says, the son is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. I mean, we get this picture. It's like that, that, that groom on the wedding day, he burst out of the chamber saying, I'm ready to see the bride. I can't wait. And that's what the sun does every morning as it comes up over the horizon and declares to the world the glory of God day in, day out, the text says. Or it's like that runner who can't sleep the night before because the race is coming and he wants to win. And as he crosses that finish line, he holds that finger in the air. Number one, I've done it. That's what the sun is doing every day as it rises and sets every day. It is declaring the glory of God and it's not doing it in a ho-hum fashion. It is excited about it, God says. And then it says in verse six, it rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. I mean, the sun doesn't have to say a word to us after we've been baked by it. When you get home and, and you have a sunburn on your arm or on your back because you spent an entire day outside and didn't put enough sunscreen on, the sun was telling you, I'm powerful. The sun was letting you know that even from a million miles away, I can burn you. And that declares God's glory. I mean, think about it. God spoke the sun into existence that from a million miles away, it heats our planet. From a million miles away, it can burn us. From a million miles away, if we look at it directly, it can ruin our eyesight. From a million miles away, it keeps our water cycle in play, our gravitational force in play in the right adjustments. It does all of that, gives light during the day and then its light is reflected off the moon for us to see at night. It is phenomenal. It is every day a nonverbal declaration of God's glory and majesty, his bigness. It says even nothing is hidden from his heat. And so when you think about this, we think about the ways that God nonverbally communicates with us in other instances. So let me give you four examples of the way that God does this. First of all, nonverbal communication shows us interest. And this is what God does. Nonverbally, he communicates with us his interest in us. Like, for example, those of you sitting right now on a couch, you might be interested in what I'm saying. And as a result, you might lean forward. You might have your Bible open. You might prop your chin on your fist showing I'm in, I'm engaged. I'm ready to hear what Russell's going to say next. 
the vast majority of you aren't doing that. You've already checked out and you're now leaning backwards and you're starting to investigate what's on the back of your eyelids, starting to sleep. And in your posture, you're saying, I'm not interested. I'm done. When are you wrapping this thing up? God's nonverbal communication shows he's interested in us. Think about that he put this planet in play, the sun in motion, because he cares for us. He gave us what we need, water and plants and animals to take care of us. He is showing his interest in us. The seasons, days, the calendar, all of this. Nonverbal communication is God showing he loves us. He's interested. Another way that nonverbal communication helps us is it gives specific meaning. Specific meaning. I mean, think about it. Our words are one thing. But when they have nonverbal communication with them, it helps deliver the meaning. For example, I might say the phrase, oh, I'm excited. Now, I'm excited could be taken a couple of different ways. If I say, oh, I'm excited, then everybody knows, yeah, he's really excited. Something good has happened. I'm pumping my fist. I've raised my voice. My eyebrows are up. I preach like that most of the time, right? I mean, I'm excited. But I also could say it this way. I could say, oh, I'm so excited. Very sarcastic. And at that point, my body language gave specific meaning to my words that I'm not really excited about it. So God does this as well. I mean, think about when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then we know that that death on the cross had very specific meaning. But God didn't just communicate that through Paul and the other apostles who wrote in the New Testament. He communicated at the very moment Jesus was breathing his last breath. Think about the nonverbal communication that happened 2,000 years ago as Jesus was dying. One of them is, is that the, the sky went dark. I mean, the, the sun quit shining and it went black and everyone took notice. That was specific meaning. Oh, what about the specific meaning when the earth shook, when Jesus said, it is finished? Specific meaning. But even more pointed than that, when Jesus died, the text says the veil tore from top to bottom. Nonverbal communication of what was really happening. You see, that veil in the temple separated God and man. And the reason why God and man were separated is because we are sinners and we can't go to a holy God. And so that big honking thick veil made it clear to everyone, no one can go back there. And when it tore, the specific meaning of the death of Jesus Christ was that he died for sin and that we now have access to God through his death. That's amazing, isn't it? Specific meaning. God's a master communicator. The third one is connection. It helps us make connection. I mean, that's what we do. That's why we want to shake hands. That's why we want to embrace because it shows that connection we have with people. I mean, when we went to Texas not too long ago. My kids are dying to see cousins. They can't wait to see grandparents, just like any kid. And soon as they got out of the van after 13 hours and they see my folks, they hug them. And that hug says, we are connected to you. We love you. We miss you. Or even more so, when we get on that van headed home, and I can hear sniffling in the back seat. 
those tears streaming down their face are his nonverbal communication that says, we're going to miss Mamu and Papa Doug. We're going to miss them. We're going to miss our cousins. We're connected to them. Connection. I think God does the same thing with us. Matter of fact, when Jesus was in that manger, it was a beautiful picture of God connecting with humanity. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh. And so everybody that laid eyes on Jesus Christ, they were seeing God's ultimate way to connect with humanity as he walked the planet, as he taught, as he, as he just lived his life. He was a picture, a nonverbal communication of God connecting with us. Finally, fourth way, there are plenty of others, but a fourth way that non verbal communication helps us is that it shows authenticity. It shows realness. It reflects a realness. I mean, God did this all throughout scripture. I could list hundreds of them, but one of them would be when the, the nation of Israel was leaving Egypt after 450 plus years of slavery and they get to the Red Sea and God showed, I am real. He didn't do it with his words. He did it by splitting the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. Nonverbal communication that God is powerful. He is real. He is faithful. Or, or what about as they traveled for years through the wilderness and they needed Food And God rained manna from heaven, a bread-like substance down from heaven every day for God to say, I am real. Or what about those two ladies as they were coming on an Easter morning to, to dress the body of Jesus thinking he was dead and that's where he would be found. And when they showed up, nonverbal communication of a stone rolled away and an empty tomb. And that empty tomb said this, Jesus' death was real. He has a victory over sin and death. That's what he has. Matter of fact, Paul said it. If, if the resurrection isn't real, then our faith is in vain. That empty tomb is nonverbal communication of the realness, the power of Jesus Christ. Four ways that God does this. And it's amazing. Matter of fact, we could stop now. I could stop now halfway through and say this. You know what? Let's just sing a few more songs and let's give God praise and glory for his nonverbal communication, the way he declares his glory, his love, his faithfulness, his common grace to us. But David's not done yet. David basically is gonna say this in verse seven. If you think God's nonverbal communication is good, Wait till you hear him speak. Wait till you hear the words of his mouth. Wait till you hear this God in his thunderous voice. If you thought his nonverbal was strong, his verbal is even better. I mean, we got a few examples, right? I mean, can you imagine Moses at the burning bush? And there he is and this bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. And then all of a sudden it says, hey, come over here and take off your sandals. And this is holy ground. And oh, by the way, I need you to go down to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? God's voice would have been powerful. Or, or what about when Jesus showed up to Paul when, when he was still Saul and he was persecuting Christians what would you have done when you heard the voice of Jesus say, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? 
And that would have been amazing. Or what about the voice of God when, when Jesus was being baptized and God speaks and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love this kid. That would have been powerful. When God speaks, we should listen. Let's take a look at verse seven and following it and see how strong God's words really are. He says this, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Are you seeing these words, instruction and testimony? Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Let's go back through those because I want to make sure you see this is God's verbal word to us. Let's go back to verse seven and take a look. It says the instruction of the word of the Lord. That word instruction is literally Torah, the law. They would have typically thought about that being Genesis to Deuteronomy. It says the instruction or the next one says the testimony of the Lord. This is the idea of God being a promise keeper. This is the covenant keeping God. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he means it. When he says, I'm going to deliver you to the promised land, he means it. When he says, he'll never leave us or forsake us, he means it. His word, his testimony is sure. He then goes on to the, the precepts of the Lord. These are his, his standards. He then says the command, what God instructs us to do. Or finally, as we move on to, to verse nine, it says the fear of the Lord. This one's an interesting one because this fear has the idea that when we hear God speak, it should well up within us awe and reverence for his word. And then finally, the ordinances. This is my favorite one. The word ordinances is his decisions. His decisions are good. So this is God's word, but now each of those also tell you a little bit about it. They describe it. So let's go back to verse seven and let's see if we can highlight those. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. The Torah, the law is perfect. I mean, think about this just for a minute. If we're talking about the law, look at all the nonverbal communication that went down in Exodus 15 to Exodus 20, the splitting of the Red Sea. You had all this water from a rock. They went to Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and a trumpet blast and an earthquake and smoke and all of this stuff. And then Moses comes down with tablets with God's word on it. And this is what it says. It's perfect. It's perfect. And then he says, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. You can trust his promises. You can trust his covenant. He then says this about precepts, that they are right, that they're the right thing, that they are the, the, the standard bearer or his commands are radiant. I love that. Now remember verses one through six was talking about the sun and the sun is radiant. God's word is radiant. It's beaming. He then says this, the fear of the Lord endures forever. God's word is going to endure forever. Isaiah 48, the grass wither and the flowers fade, but the word of God will endure, will last forever. Or finally, it says his decisions are reliable and altogether righteous. Can, can I just, I just tell you the truth about what I'm feeling right now? 
as I read things, as I listen to the news, as I scroll through social media feeds, I read a lot of words, I'm hearing a lot of words, but none of them seem to be right and trustworthy and reliable and true and perfect. I mean, can we be honest? We get a, a set of statistics over here and, and one, peop, one set of people want to uh, interpret them one way and then we, we have those same statistics and they're interpreted another way. And I sat at a, at a lunch this week with a guy and we looked at each other and for a minute we were just dumbfounded in silence as we, were, we just said, I don't know who to believe. I don't know which words are true. I don't know about you, but I, I need true words now. I need words that are reliable. I need words that are trustworthy. I need words that are affirming, that are right. And maybe just maybe many of us need to shut off some of the rhetoric and the words that we're hearing and run to the word that is trustworthy and true and perfect and right that's what I need. Then he says, why? Why is God's word so important? Why is it so powerful? Again, let's go back to verse seven. He says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect and it renews your life, renews your life. I, I, when's the last time you ever heard anyone say, boy, I watched CNN and my life was renewed. Or boy, I scrolled through Facebook and my life was renewed. Or I watched the, I, I read the Washington Post or Fox News or whatever your media outlet is. And I was refreshed and renewed. I'm going to be honest. I get another email from Mary Beth Hill from Lexington One. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little hesitant to open it because I typically am not renewed. I'm not renewed the next time Governor McMaster gets out there and gives us another a press conference about COVID and the coronavirus, most of the time I'm confused. I want to go to the word and be renewed. He says it, it makes the inexperienced wise. <laughs> I need wisdom. I need wisdom with what to do with the school year. I need wisdom as a pastor with how do we, how do we shepherd our people? I, I need wisdom on what's it look like to, to lead my family in this time. I need wisdom. Matter of fact, the guy said, how can I pray for you? And without even hesitation, I said, wisdom. God's word is wise. We need to seek what God would say to us. Speak to us, Lord, about what we need to do. He then goes on and, he says, the precepts make the heart glad. I need my heart to be glad. There's so many things that make my heart sad right now. I want to be glad. It says it, it makes my eyes light up. Man, I'm, I, it, this is ruined. This whole thing has messed up my routine a little bit. But man, I've started getting back into it. I, I get to meet with some people on a regular basis and I've been reading some things in God's word and I'm not gonna lie to you. It's making my eyes light up. You can ask my wife, like I'm trying to have conversations with her and she's like, whoa, you're, I'm slow down. I'm like, it's making me, me light up because I'm like, God's word is so deep. I can jump in there and never hit the bottom. That's where we wanna be, isn't it? Matter of fact, he, he goes on and he says this about it in verse 10. God's words, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. It, we should desire it if it is that good. 
Let's get after it. Let's go find it. And then he says in verse 12, in addition, on top of all of that, on top of how cool God's nonverbal communication is, on top of how great his verbal communication is, this is what it does for us. It says your servant is warned by them and the great reward is in keeping them. He says, man, this is just cherry on top. So, as I read this, this is what I, this is what I feel. And, and maybe it's just me, but I got a hint at some of us as well. Since March, our routine has been destroyed. Moms, the, the routine of getting in a car line and dropping your kid off or getting in that car line and wait, waiting to pick them up. Some of that stuff we thought, oh boy, I don't want to do it. Now we miss it. Or that 30 minute commute to work is gone because now we're working from home. Or when our gyms closed down and we couldn't work out the way we used to. Or now that, that our kids are home all the time and have been home now going on, what, five months? Most of us don't even like a two and a half month summer. We're now doubled that. We can't wait for our kids to go back to school, right? We're hoping they go back to school. We want routine. We want structure. And not only do I think our workout time disappeared and some of our alone time disappeared. We gained some family time, but I wonder, how's your quiet time? How's your time in God's word? So this is how I want to challenge you. God's word is trustworthy. It is good. It's pure. It is right. It'll lighten your eyes. It'll make your heart glad. So if you're not engaged on a regular basis reading God's word, here's my challenge. I want to challenge you for the next few weeks to find a psalm and to read it. Be great if you did it every day. We're going to do psalms till the middle of August. So if you say, I don't know where to start, here's where to start. Today is the 12th. So Monday will be the 13th. Go to Psalm 13 and start reading. Then on Tuesday, read 14. Then on Wednesday, read 15 and go from there. If you want to get deeper in and you want to start with your age, start with your age and then read going ascending. If you, if you want to just kind of randomly pick it, fine. If you want to reread some of the psalms we've already preached, do it. And then once you do it, will you go online and will you tell us about it? Will you say, boy, this is how this Psalm has brightened my eyes. Go on Facebook and say, man, this made my heart glad to be reminded of God and his character. Here's my next challenge for you. When you turn this video off here in a minute, I want you to share what are some of your favorite passages from God's word? Just go around and say, what's your favorite story and why? Well, what's your favorite passage and why? And what does it tell you about God as he communicates with you through his word? It's where we need to run to. He talks to us through it. He wants to be with us. He's interested in us. He wants to have connection with us. Will you take the challenge and make connecting with him by reading his word a priority? We love you. We miss you. But man, in all of this, we don't want you to miss your time with God and his son, Jesus Christ. So to that end, I'm gonna pray for us right now. Oh, Father, as we read Psalm 19, I'm, I am floored, amazed, speechless, the way you communicate to us over and over, high and above, you have tried to get our attention verbally and non-verbally. 
And then Lord, you give us this amazing book full of letters written by men who saw you, people that interacted with you, who heard from you. And God, we want to read it. So if there are some of us out there who are struggling with our daily time with you, we would pick up the Psalms and start reading. And those of us who are plowing ahead, we would share it with other people and encourage others to join us. Lord, thank you for connecting with us, loving us, and communicating with us. You are real and you are good. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.